Well, the last time we were together, we were uh, we were talking about, amongst other things, Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we spend a lot of time, don't we, in our Christian uh, walk, thinking about the second coming of Jesus. And so my question to start the night off is, um, has anybody's perspective changed in terms of thinking about Christ's return relative to the fact that this whole end time study that we've talked about, we've understood that we're not going to be there. So does that change our perspective on the second coming of Christ or not? It does? Okay. And in what way, Ernie, would, does it does it change your perspective? Well, knowing the fact that you're not going to be there through all of that, all of that stuff and that, and it kind of pushes you more to get your family and friends. <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's an incredible thing. Thank you for that. Because when we realize that uh, the rapture takes place and the and the church is removed and the tribulation and all of the chaos that we've been that we've been studying that is that is clearly outlined in God's word. And, uh, and we realize that there, there are people that are going to experience this because they have, in their hearts, been hardened to the extent that they have made a choice. And, uh, and some people have made a choice without even knowing what is in store. And so uh, I, I so appreciate that because if nothing else for me, too, uh, it has accelerated... Uh, my thinking about am I bold? Am I bold enough to tell those that need to know? Um, uh, that's that's a question that I've been I've been wrestling with um, now for some time uh, because if you would have asked me that three or four months ago, I think the answer right out of my mouth would have been sure. And now I'm not so sure. And now I'm not so sure because when I understand how horrific things are going to be. Um, oh my gosh, you know, I, I wouldn't want anybody to have to experience that. And yet many will. Many will. And we'll see tonight as we, as we look about the end of the tribulation period and the, the, the return of Christ and, and why he comes and what he does. Uh, and then we began to just crack the surface of the millennial reign. Uh, the millennial kingdom of Christ. And what, what is that? And what does he do there? What do we do there? And the Bible is pretty clear. It speaks very clearly about what those events are chronologically and the purpose and what we'll be doing. And when we get done with the study, we all will have more questions than we have answers. But we will have enough answers that I believe that, that God will reveal to us a sense of urgency and comfort if those two can be combined. That's that's my hope. Now, I'm going to pass out the scripture references tonight. Now, don't freak out, okay? Because there are 38 scripture references. Oh, no. And we are not going to flip to every one of them. Because just to read the scripture references that I have on the outline tonight would take about an hour. So we're not going to do that. But, um, but I did something a little bit different in that I titled, okay, the things that we're going to be talk talking about in case we don't get all the way through. Okay, so there is a title of the topic with the scripture reference that, or references um, that, that are going to be used to see what God's word says about the, about the topics. Okay, 
So that's my disclaimer, so that you don't look at this and say, are you out of your mind? No. So maybe you just kind of pass those out if you don't mind. We were looking biblically at, uh, at Armageddon, and uh, what are a couple of things that we know about Armageddon? It's a place, and it is a battle, or a series of battles. And so we know where the word Armageddon comes from, and the Bible uses it quite prolifically because it is a physical place that is, as, that is north of Jerusalem. And yes, the Mount of Megiddo, and yet there is no place historically called Mount Megiddo, but there is a valley. And so it is very clear that there could be a mountain there by the time this all takes place because of the cataclysmic events that take place that lead up to the end of the tribulation period. Scripture tells us, and we've looked at these, at these biblical references about complete mountains being moved and islands being decimated, meaning that they, they no longer exist. And so mountains that were once will be removed. And where there were none, there will be some. It's hard for us to wrap our head around that, but that is what the Bible teaches. And it's very clear that Armageddon is a place, and it is a series of battles, and we look at what it isn't. It's not the, Armageddon is not the end of the world, no matter what Hollywood wants to tell you. It's not the end of the world. But it's getting close, because when the battles of Armageddon are taking place, we are rapidly approaching the end of the seven-year period of the tribulation right before Jesus comes. And so we see then that the Antichrist lures, he lures his allies from around the world to this place called Armageddon. And it's, an, it's going to be an amazing event because we're not told about how big the armies are, but we know that there will be a lot of military activity in a very small geographic region. We also know that there will be battles that will have been going on for the full period of the tribulation. And so all of the chaos with the judgments of God and with the Antichrist and people fighting okay, to the death, in some cases just to survive because there won't be food and water and it will be chaotic. And so these are all considered to be battles leading up to, ultimately, this influx of armies that come to uh, the Valley of Megiddo or Armageddon, the place, to what? Because the Antichrist has lured them there. The armies are lured to this place. And what are they going to do when they get there? They are his allies, remember. At this point, anyway. What are they going to do when they all get there? Well, they're going to fight each other in some cases. He lures them there because once and for all, the Antichrist wants to do away with Israel. Once and for all. And he lures these armies there. They are his allies. And they come. And the sixth bowl judgment, if you will remember, is, is what? Do you remember what the sixth bowl judgment is? That happens to, to involve the, uh, Ure, the Euphrates River. It, it dries it up. And it's really interesting because if you think about it for just a second, the sixth bowl judgment is the drying up of the Euphrates River that was completely polluted. 
Okay? We don't know exactly how, but it says that it was turned to blood. And we know that there are no more fish in the Euphrates rivers or any other freshwater rivers and streams anywhere on earth because of these judgments. And yet it is God that dries up the that their big river over yonder <laughs> is dried up, but it's God that does it. It's fascinating, you see. This is a this is a bold judgment of God. You see, the Antichrist and Satan think that they're in charge, and yet it is God that dries up the river so that the armies can easily cross over and go into these battles of Armageddon, and then we see what the end result is. Because what happens next, of course, is the Antichrist has all of these battles going on, and Daniel eleven forty five says he that's the Antichrist, will come to his end and no one will help him. So ultimately during these battles, the, the Antichrist has lured his allies, but there are many that are only allies in word only. Because when they get there, they, have, they, they don't like him. <laughs> okay, And battles ensue not only against the Israelites, if you will, who have been scattered at this point, but also against each other. It's really interesting because remember what started the tribulation period was the invasion of Israel and all the armies that came. And Israel didn't have to lift a finger because God defeated those armies. And now when we get towards the, the, the final battles of Armageddon, the Antichrist lures his allies from other countries to come for this big battle because they're going to win the battle, okay? And at the same time, God makes it easy for them to get there and then God also turns them against one another and allies become adversaries and they begin killing each other and they are not successful and ultimately everyone turns against the Antichrist, as we see in Daniel chapter 11, and nobody helps him. That's a fascinating thing to think about because you have a world-domineering personality and God, in his infinite wisdom, has a plan and even in his bold judgments, the sixth bold judgment, which this is the last of the judgments of God, and they are really, the bold judgments are against the Antichrist and his followers. And so, God prepares the way for the Antichrist to lose all of his power. And so then, what happens? What happens? They die. They have a fight. Who has a fight? The... Christ and his followers? Jesus comes! <laughs> Absolutely! See, there's all this chaos going on all around the world. There's no fresh water. There's not much to eat. There's, I mean, it is chaotic. There is war. And this, this place that we now know as the Middle East is going to be a hub of military activity. Okay, it is going to be a hub. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't wars everywhere on the planet. There are. <coughs> Okay? So we can't get in a mindset that we're thinking about nothing but the Middle East. 
Trust me, in California, it will be ugly. It will be ugly. Because it will be worldwide. There, you're not going to turn on your tap and get fresh water. You're not going to go to Vaughn's or Bayless or whatever they call that over there now. And you're not going to go to the store. Okay, It's not going to happen. And food is going to cost more than people have if you could even buy any. And so it will be chaotic throughout the entire world. And then Jesus comes. And we looked last week, starting, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 1. All the dead bones? Yeah. No, we haven't. We didn't know because there's some. There are certain things that you can't do in an hour. <laughs> what is the difference between Christ's first and second coming? First coming, He will a man. Okay. And the second coming will come as a glorious being that He is. Okay. Oh, that's interesting, Doris, because, because, can I paraphrase what you just said? So you said that he came the first time as a man, and the second time he's coming as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Uh, was he Lord of Lords and King of Kings when he was born? Yeah, he just wasn't using that. He wasn't using it? Okay. Um, okay. One was in the clouds, and the other actually on the earth. Ah, that's interesting. Okay, so he does different things. That you're talking about the second time around. Okay. And what about his character? Any difference in his character between the first and the second time? Oh, second time around, he's a little more of a warrior versus. No, he's the same. <laughs> he, he's the same. He's the same. Okay. Um, uh, does does he does he do the same things first time and second time? No, no. No, very radical, very radical departure from the Jesus that was. That was born in the manger. It's awesome, you know. We're sitting here with the Christmas tree, uh, and it's and it's Christmas time, and we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus here in just a just a few weeks, even though we don't know when he was born. Um, more of a peaceful type when he was born in his life, and now he's coming in. Hey, I'm taking over here. This is oh, okay. He came very peacefully. Uh, Susan said that the first time he came very peacefully, the second time he's coming with authority. Okay. Well, what kind of authority? Because didn't he have authority the first but, time? But he's still God. He's still he's still God. Okay. So that doesn't change. One one time he came to save the world, and this time he's coming to. Uh, First time he came as a savior, the second time he comes as a judge. Ah, savior and judge. That's a that's a good way to put it. And yet, is Jesus still in the saving business? I I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but is, is Jesus still in the sa- in the saving business the second time around? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's take a look at at not the, not only the difference between Jesus, the Jesus as as um, uh, born of a virgin, but the Jesus that comes a second time that that the Bible speaks of at least eighteen hundred times. Okay, the second coming of Jesus Christ. The first time he humbled himself and he emptied himself. Okay. And became a human. And he. Okay. In the form of a man. Oh, 
And he did that so he would be one of us, and we would feel like we had somebody that was on our side. Well, okay, so he comes and he takes on the form of a man the first time. Uh, how does he come a second time? So he comes as a man. But he's got the sword in his hand the second time. So he got the sword in his hand the second time, but he didn't have it the first time? No, he was with the sword in the first time. The second time he's going to establish the world in the proper order, the way it should be. Oh. It isn't now. It wasn't when he first came either. Oh. That's interesting. These are interesting questions, aren't they? Because really, uh, oftentimes, don't we think about the fact that, I mean, we're going to celebrate Christmas. And there's the whole major scene, and there's the birth of Jesus, and he came to seek and save the lost, right? And, and if he hadn't come to do that, none of us would be sitting here tonight. Okay? And, and the second time he's going to come, there's all this water that has gone under the bridge since that took place. Lots of it. And then now he's going to be coming a second time. That's in the future. See, we're looking backwards now. But we're going to look into the future, and, and the Bible talks about both, but he's, doesn't it? He's still going to be the same Jesus that left. He's still going to be the same Jesus that, that left. Let's take a look at how he comes. Okay? Because we know, you can just be reminded, okay, of how Jesus comes the first time because you can look at the Christmas tree. Symbolically, let's just say, so we don't have, oh, we do have a major scene. We have a major scene. Okay? So we can look at this and we can see the baby Jesus and we know the story, don't we? We wouldn't be here without it. So, there you go. So put that in your mind. Okay, the major scene. Okay, so there's the prop for the night. And then let's take a look at what the Bible says about how Jesus comes the second time. Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. Steve says that he comes the same way he left. I think Steve has read Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. So I'd like to read that. Yeah, we're looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What was the condition of Jesus when he was standing there with all of those people and they saw him ascend into heaven? He was in his glorified body, his glorified state. Could you touch him? Could you feel him? Could you hear him and see him and smell him? Absolutely, in his glorified state. In his glorified state. And what does Acts chapter 1, verse 10 and 11 say? The same way. Steve-O, he's coming back the same way he left. There's a couple of differences, though. There will be a couple of differences. He's coming back personally, the same way he left, according to Acts. Uh, uh, Revelation, if you, those are all in order, by the way, on the sheet. Um, so if you want to cheat and get ahead, Revelation 19:11. Okay. <laughs> Revelation 19:11. Are you there? Susan, did you read it? Yeah. 11, 12, and 13. Just go ahead. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, 
and his name is the word of God. Wow. John the Revelator, he's getting this vision. Okay, God gives him this vision. And he sees Jesus coming literally, and, and he sees him coming personally, and literally he's coming here according to Revelation 19. How? As a warrior. There's a different kind of power that is implied and very specifically uh, told to us relative to this Jesus that, that comes both personally and literally, and his name is the Word of God. And his name is the Word of God. Very, very powerful imagery and very powerful language to represent this physical, literal um, uh, experience that is going to that is going to take place. And will people know? Did they know the first time? There's a huge difference as we look at the as we look at the, the, the differences between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. Uh, the, the second time, turn to Matthew 24. We're all very familiar with this passage of Scripture, aren't we? Mm-hmm. We looked at it very briefly last time. Jesus Christ will not only come literally, He not only will come personally, He will come very visibly. Somebody, would somebody like to read Matthew 24, 23, and 24? At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles, deceive even the elect, even if, they, if that were possible. Even if that were possible. At Revelation, I'll just read Revelation 1.7, says, look, he is coming with the clouds, every eye will see him. How many eyes will see him? There isn't a person on the planet that isn't going to see the Lord Jesus Christ return. I don't know how. But I know it's not going to require television or computers or chips or any of those things. The manifestation of Jesus Christ coming in the clouds, even those who pierced him, Revelation 1, 7 says, where are those people going to be? Now, even those who pierced him, the context, we've got to keep it in context. Uh, this is an amazing thing. You know, we're, we're going to look at heaven when we get, ultimately when we finish up this end time study, we have, to, we, we have to deal with heaven, don't we? We have to, because heaven is, is, uh, is ultimately eternity. And so, and we need to understand heaven, even though we've had a little discussion about heaven in the past, we, we need to understand heaven. But Revelation 1-7 says that every eye is going to see, and even those who pierced him are going to see. So the context here is, is that you don't just have to be alive on the planet to know that the second coming of Jesus Christ has manifest. It's going to be like a face-to-face to everyone. It is going to be somehow God, we're not told how. Well, it has to be if everybody gets judged by whoever lives at any point. This is what we know. Because there is some chronology to judgment. There is some chronology to resurrection. Not everybody is resurrected at the same time, according to Scripture. We'll look at that later. We know that the second coming of Jesus Christ is a huge event 
in the timeline, if you will, there is no, no, eternity doesn't have a timeline, but that's how we think, because we wear watches. So we have to use that kind of language. So there's a timeline, and Jesus comes, and every eye will see. The context is those that are living and those that aren't. That's the context. I don't know how God will do that. I, I have no clue. It's beyond my capacity. And we're not told. He doesn't tell us how that's going to happen, just that it will. And of course, he is not only then going to come visibly, <coughs> every eye will see. How else does he come? Matthew 24, 27. Suddenly. Suddenly. Okay, and what does is, what is verse 27 of uh, Matthew 24 say in terms of how suddenly, what's the, what's the image that is used there? Lightning. Lightning. I love that. I'm a pilot. I love flying, and I had to, to avoid lightning. Well, I just tried to. And so either you're flying along, and you see on your radar screen in the airplane, we have these little devices, and, and, and they, they pop up, okay? And so there's a flash, and... If they're close enough, I don't need the computer to tell me that there was a flash yeah. over there. I just saw it. Okay? And all I know is if there's enough of them over there, I want to go this way. That's all I know. Okay? And so uh, you see them. And Scripture says that it will be so sudden, it will be as sudden as there is a flash of lightning. It happens that fast. Just that fast. So it happens suddenly. How else does it happen? Matthew 24, 29. Immediately and with some drama. What's the drama? Matthew twenty four twenty nine. Somebody. Okay. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Any question about the drama during this event that's going to happen quickly? Okay. It gets very black. It happens very quickly. And things will be shaken like never before. This, this second coming of Christ is going to be so dramatic that I don't think that we can really wrap our brain around it. Even, even though God's Word gives us the words to describe how it's going to happen, it's hard to imagine that, isn't it? It's just hard to imagine that. How else does he come? Verse 30 in Matthew 24. Okay, let's read verse 30 of Matthew 24. Somebody who would like to take a stab at that. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. With power and what? Great glory. <laughs> wow. Jesus comes with power. Hmm. Just looking at the manger there, but uh, you know, power and great glory. You ever use the term? Oh, glory be to God. And isn't that the isn't that really the, the root of our lives? To, to, to live a life in obedience to Christ, so so what? So we get the glory? No, so that God gets the glory. And then he's going to come with that great power and with that glory. See, we're going to see the glory. And we're going we're to understand, to some degree, glory. 
Because I, I don't think that we can... It's like holiness. It's hard to grasp that right now. Who can understand the holiness of God? When you get there, will you let me know, please? Because we can't. We're not, we're not built. We're not equipped to deal with that. Only just a little bit. But he's going to come and he'll be full of power and great glory. And then he's going to come also, verse 19 of Revelation 19. How else is he going to come? Because this is going to relate to what Jesus is going to do once he gets here. Revelation 19, 19 through 21. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With those signs he has deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword. It came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Who were the two of them, and who are the rest of them in Revelation 19, in, 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 in those verses? Who are the two of them that it talks about, the two of them that are thrown alive into the lake fire that burns us over? The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into this the abyss, if that's what we like to call it. They are thrown in, those two are thrown into the lake of, of fire with burning sulfur at that point. Jesus comes very triumphantly. You talk about power and glory now. We're talking about, we're talking about the two people that for seven years have terrorized the earth. There are people living on the earth at this time that have gone through this this period. And Jesus comes, and he comes in these ways. And now he comes very triumphantly. Nobody is there to bail out the Antichrist. It says in, in Revelation that nobody was there to help him. It reminds me of when Jesus was taken away. And everybody said, oh Lord, I would go with you. I would, I would die for you. And then they all bailed. It's, it's a fascinating parallel, isn't it? Because they, they pledged allegiance to the Antichrist. They had to, or it was a death sentence, but they didn't mean it. Because when the going got tough, they all bailed on the Antichrist. Isn't that fascinating? They bailed. And Jesus comes in triumph and immediately does what? He defeats the enemy. He throws them. And who else does he defeat? Kings, generals, mighty men. Yeah. Scripture says the rest. Yeah, the rest. The rest of who on the earth? All that had the mark of the beast. Everybody at that time, when Jesus comes and has the mark of the beast, are going to suffer the same fate. We see elsewhere in Scripture, this is a study all of itself, that how does Jesus defeat them, by the way? Anybody remember? The sword of his mouth. What, we just saw in Scripture that, his, that the name of Jesus is the Word of God. Boy, if that doesn't impact us today, right now, in terms of, uh, of the power of Scripture, the authority of Scripture in our lives, and what people today do with that, 
They just they 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 they, they desecrate the word of God. Are you kidding me? This is Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who comes triumphantly and he defeats the enemy by the words of his mouth. He speaks like he spoke us into existence. Mm -hmm. He spoke the world into existence. He speaks the defeat of the enemy. We're going to see that a little bit more in just a minute. Does he come with anybody? All his <laughs> I love that. We don't even have to look at these scriptures because we know them. And we know them well. And, and so Matthew 25, uh, 31 says that, that there's an army that's with him. Because he's coming triumphantly. He's coming in power. He's coming in glory. He's coming to defeat. There's a military aspect of this that cannot be understated. He's coming in great power. The time of the end of the tribulation has arrived. It's not over. But it's close. And he comes triumphantly. And he comes with with who? Us, Olivia. <laughs> and, and who are the us? The saints. How many of the saints does he come with, Olivia? Yeah, and we already know that in both the Greek and the Hebrew, all still means all, right? Alright, so he comes with all of the saints. And who else does he come with? How many of the angels does, does the Lord Jesus Christ come with? That is second. Oh, I love this. We briefly mentioned this two weeks ago. See, heaven is all of a sudden pretty empty. Now, the angels aren't all in heaven, but the saints are. And yet, he comes to the earth personally, physically, literally, triumphantly with all the saints. That's y'all. And with all the angels. This is an army. You see, the contrast is the Antichrist on the earth. The river dries up. He tells them, let's defeat the enemy. Who is the Antichrist really fighting? And has been from the very beginning. Sure, the Jews got in the way. But the real battle is against God. And of course, remember the story that we talked about of the basketball thing and the janitor, you know, and he summarized the whole book of Revelation by saying, Jesus wins. <laughs> and that's what happens. Jesus is going to win, but not yet. He comes with his saints, and Armageddon isn't over. The next logical question in our mind is, where does Jesus come if every eye sees him? Even people that aren't alive, according to Scripture, are going to see and know that the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to be the most miraculous event that ever took place in the, on the planet. Regardless of what people had been through during this seven years of tribulation, which is horrific, they, are, they will have seen things that are so miraculous they, that will pale in comparison to the second coming of Jesus Christ and, and how God has planned for this. So he comes and everybody sees, but where does he come? He comes to the Mount of Olives. How do you know that, Doris? Well, somebody read scripture? Because it's written. That's exactly right. So, uh, okay. Well, I'll give you a copy of I think I wrote it. 
Anybody know the scripture reference for that? There you go. Ding, 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 ding. Olivia, you get the gold star. Zechariah 14, 3 and 4 says that when the Lord, then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. What? Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. Is this the same loving Jesus? Steve? Yes. It is, isn't it? (laughs) It is. That's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. It's always the right answer. This is the same loving Jesus. And he comes. And it says in Zechariah. Zechariah was who? A prophet. What happened to all the prophets? They killed them all. I didn't want to hear what they had to say. And they're crying. And here, and here it is. All of these things that were prophesied have either or are or are about to be fulfilled. Every one of them. I love this part because this had never occurred to me before I started studying for this. It had never occurred to me that after the rapture there will be a lot of Bibles that are being left laying around. Lots of them. And anybody that's got a half a brain or any kind of a heart that isn't completely hard that picks one up is going to be able to read it just like you and me. And they're going to see what the prophet said and they're going to see, oh my gosh, look at what it says about the tribulation. Aren't we in the tribulation? Uh, oh. Oh. Because we know multitudes will be saved during this tribulation period. Even right now with all this... All this insanity that's going on. People are going to come to Christ. I don't know how many are going to come to Christ when every eye sees him coming. I can't support it, but I want to think a lot. <laughs> I just want to think a lot, Will. I get it. I get it. But I don't know. Zechariah says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Taurus. See, Zechariah says that he is going to fight on a day. And we're studying the second uh, coming of Jesus Christ. And it's going to happen in a flash like lightning. And it's going to happen just the way the the Bible uh, describes it's going to happen. It's going to be swift. And there will be absolutely no question about it. We won't have to run across town to see if it really is Jesus. Well, we won't be there. But people won't have to do that. And so it's going to come that way. And yet, Zechariah says, is that when he fights on a day of battle, and then in verse 4 he says that on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. Hmm. It seems like a pretty compressed period of time, this one day that he's talking about. Literal? That's a question. Literal one day? It sounds like it further on. We've got to keep it in context. And when we interpret scripture, we have to be able to interpret literally if the context allows it. Okay? All right. So let's keep reading. So verse 4, on that day, on that day, his feet shall sound on the Mount of Olives, which lies before Jerusalem to the east, and on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall withdraw northward and the other half southward. And the next one that I have in my Bible open is, next verse. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to a veil. 
You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Interesting. We're there. We're with him. He comes. Everybody sees him. Where does he go? To the Mount of Olives. How important is the Mount of Olives in Scripture? Aye, 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 read the Gospels. Aye, 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 read the Gospels. How important is the Mount of Olives? Jesus chooses to come back and God tells us that he is going to come back and he is going to stand on the Mount of Olives. How important is Jerusalem? I keep saying this as we've gone through this Bible study of the end times. How incredible. It's been seared into my brain the importance. If I thought I knew it before now, I really do. How important this little tiny piece of dirt is over there that we call Israel. It's tiny, tiny. Jerusalem is a tiny, tiny little place. The Mount of Olives is even a tinier, tinier little place. Some of you have been there. It's incredible. Jesus Christ returns the most miraculous event that ever took place in the history of mankind. And there he is standing on the Mount of Olives where he had a lot to say. That's incredible to me. What comes next? He's coming triumphantly. He's coming to defeat the enemy. It says that he's thrown them into the abyss. The abyss. It's burning. It's sulfur. I'm pretty sure it's worse than driving to Santa Paula. Is there that sulfur over there? That's bad, but I think it's going to be a lot worse than that. What does he do when he gets here then? We already said, what's the first thing he does? He comes. He's up and on and all of us. What's the first thing that Jesus comes to do? Triumphantly. Yeah, but the first thing, we've already said it 17 times. To defeat, the to defeat the enemy. He's come to defeat the enemy. Revelation 19, we already looked at it. It says that he comes and he captures the beast and the false prophet. And that the two of them were thrown into the lake of fire of burning sulfur. And the rest, the rest, that's those 666 guys, you know? As we tried to work through that 666 thing, remember? But it's the ones that have the mark, whatever that is. The rest of them, they're defeated when Jesus comes. He defeats all the kings of the earth. Because they're in with the rest. Because we have this government that was set up by the Antichrist. He controls everything. Right? He controls the government, the military, the economy, and religion. That pretty much covers all the bases. And Jesus comes, and Revelation tells us, he defeats the Antichrist. He defeats all of the kings of the earth. That's the rest of them. Whether they were supporters and allies of the Antichrist or not, they had the mark of the beast. And Jesus comes to defeat them by speaking the truth. I, just, I can't help but be so impressed with what I've been learning from Pastor Richie of late, you know, in terms of, uh, of preaching on, on, on speaking the truth, you know. And what is, the, what is the truth? You know, what is the... we got one place to go for the truth. Jesus has called the, the, 
Jesus is called the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. <laughs> and, and, uh, and by speaking it, it is, the, it is the truth. It's the truth. Help me to help people understand that there is absolute truth. But they just don't want to believe it. Oh, trust me, they're going to believe it. They're going to believe it. So he defeats the kings of the earth and there's absolutely no mention in Scripture because, Olivia, you said that he's coming. We're part of the army that's coming with him, right? I can't find any Scripture reference that says that we've picked up any artillery to help him. Yeah. See, it's fascinating. We're there to serve. We're there in support. See, in some ways, it's not much different than it is right now. I love that. Because if we keep this in context, I mean, who is Jesus in our life? Really? There's a spiritual battle that's going on right now. And he needs an army. We're his hands and his feet. That's, That's what he uses. But when he comes, he will defeat the enemy. He won't use us. But we will be with him. He spoke it into existence and he's going to change it. What else is Jesus going to do when he gets here besides defeat the enemy at the end of the tribulation period? He reigns for a thousand years. He establishes his kingdom. He restores Israel. He restores Israel. He makes a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, ultimately, there's a new heaven and a new earth. Does the Bible have much to say about what this this millennium you're talking about? Mm-hmm. But before we get to this millennial reign of Jesus, that there are a few things that He does. Judges hmm? the living. Ah, judges the living. Well, let's take a look at the, the first thing that he's... Not the first thing. There is debate <laughs> relative to the chronology of these things that he's going to do. There is no debate about the things he's going to do. So we could talk about which order. Uh, and so as we talk about these, don't think that, that uh, there's, there is some mystery to the order of it. There is no mystery to what he's going to do. So in terms of restoring and gather, gathering Israel, we can go to Romans. I love the study of the end times. It's throughout the entire scriptures. It's all the Old Testament and the New Testament um, books and letters combined. Romans 11.25. And 26 and 27, by the way. <laughs> Who would like to read those three verses? Romans 11.25 through 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening of heart until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Wow, there's a lot of powerful words in there. There's a lot of powerful stuff going on in there. He says, hey, listen, don't be ignorant of this mystery. What's a mystery? uh, Yeah, something that hasn't been revealed. That's all it is. But but he's revealing some of it. 
It's, it's kind of interesting. But there is a, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of that. And then the next thing that we see here is that, there are, that, that Israel has experienced something. And it's something that came from God. Do you see it there? Mm-hmm. In verse 25? What is it? Yes, yeah, so see, somehow God... Boy, try to... Don't ask me to explain that. Somehow, God has hardened the hearts. Totally? No. Partially. Interesting, isn't it? And we see elsewhere in Scripture that we don't have time to go to tonight, but we see that out of their disobedience... God hardened their hearts for his purposes and ultimately it's like a Romans 8.28 thing ultimately for their good ultimately for their good and so he says there's been a hardening in part until what happens? I love here's that Steve there's that same Jesus again there's the loving Jesus that doesn't want anybody to perish not one that's wild not one does he want to perish. And so there he is. They've been hardened a little bit. But he says that in this way, what? All Israel will be saved. Now we could study that for a while too because we also know that we have to interpret Scripture in light of all Scripture and there is going to be a remnant of Israel that is saved because not every Jew will be saved. Nor will every Gentile be saved. That's not biblical. But... We do know that there will be a scattering of the Jews. And we do know that he is going to remove this hardening. And we do know that it is all about the covenant. And how important is covenant? Oh, we've learned a lot about that in this little church. Covenant is critical. Man, covenant is about relationship. That's what it's about. Because God made a covenant with us. And it will not be broken. God made a covenant with his people. And it will not be broken. It will not be broken. And he is going to bring them into the covenant as he what? Forgives their sins. This disobedient people that we always like to say, what's wrong with those people until we realize that, hey, we're those people. We're just like them. We're all the same. Sin is sin. Depravity is depravity. You know? But there will be a remnant that are saved. And then... He is going to, there's going to be judgment, right, Lynette? Who is he going to judge when Jesus comes? Who's left on the planet? There's still a lot of people here. Yeah, believers and unbelievers alike. See, the interesting thing is, life is going to go on. And we, we have this, we have this, I think, misconception sometimes. We believe that it's like a science fiction movie. And Jesus comes and everything stops. No. No, everything doesn't stop. People still eat and, and drink. Uh, and people are still people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still the earth. You know, it's not, we're not floating around on clouds with harps here. I mean, this, this, is, this is the real deal. Okay? So there are people on the earth. And when Jesus comes, he takes care of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And he throws... Uh, Satan is in the abyss at this particular point and we're going to see that there's a wonderful period of about a thousand years where we don't have to deal with Satan anymore. Come Jesus. <laughs> you know, that's going, to be a, that's going to be a great thing because it's hard for us to understand that because we only know sin. But nonetheless, there is going to be a judgment. Anybody remember how Scripture refers to this judgment about how Jesus is going to be, there's going to be this separation that takes place. 
Sheep and goats. goats. Yeah. Sheep and goats, Matthew 25, 31. He says, just to paraphrase that scripture, says that, that all the nations are going to be gathered before him. How many of the nations are going to be gathered before him? <laughs> yeah, still means all. They haven't changed it. All still means all. And he's going to separate people from one another just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He's going to judge Israel, right? There's a judgment coming. Nobody escapes judgment. Not me, not you, not Israel. Nobody gets to escape judgment. Hmm. There's just different kinds of judgment. But nobody escapes it. He judges Israel, Ezekiel 20:33, by stating that as surely as I live. Well, for those of us that have settled the issue of the living God, that's pretty clear, isn't it? As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, he is going to reign over Israel with a mighty hand. And they're going to end up coming face to face with him and he is going to execute judgment upon them. If I'm going to be judged, I'm sure glad that I would be judged by the one that is just. I was watching a television program the other day about this, this uh, non-profit group that... Uh, takes up the case of people that that it looks like they've been incarcerated for a really long time and their cases were marginal and, and they're actually, because now there's DNA that they didn't have back when they were incarcerated and they're having a pretty good success rate. Some of these, some of these people have been incarcerated and they were frankly innocent. Um, and so justice is now being served after a really long time and yet there will not be any of that with the judge. Because he is just. I'm okay with being judged by somebody that knows how many hairs I have on my head, no matter how many are falling out. I'm okay with it. Good. He was also merciful. Mercy. See, his attributes haven't changed, right? Right. It's still the same Jesus, right? Still the same. Yeah. Still. Same one. Same one. The loving Jesus, just coming in triumph. Coming in victory. We're told. We know he's going to be victorious. And the crazy thing is, so are we. And you want to hear something even crazier than that that's not even remotely related to the end times? We're victorious now. See, we can live in victory now. We don't have to wait for any of that. So it's about the covenant. Because he wants Israel to know what? What does he what does what does Jesus want Israel to know? That's it. That you just missed it. Okay. Just want you to know that I am God. That's all he wants them to know. So that they can receive. Isn't it so simple? All we gotta do is just receive it. We struggle through that, don't we? Sometimes even after we receive it, we need to ask Lord to help us receive it. Don't we? So simple. It's too easy for some. Just receive it. 
That's what he wants him to do. Just receive it. And then what else is he going to do while he's here? We're going to start the millennial process because he is going to bind Satan for a thousand years. Let me ask you this. As you've read scripture in the past, is this thousand years, this millennial kingdom that, ta- that the Bible talks about, is that literal? No? It's not a literal thousand years? How many literalists do we have? A few. How many? It's figurative. How many don't know? How many aren't concerned? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. Okay. It, what matters is what is written. Okay, that's what matters. And what we do know is that it's really interesting, though, because there is a tremendous amount of support for it being a literal thousand-year period of time, and that there are some people that are, you know, the reformers are great at these kinds of things. You know, reformers think that that, that there is going to be, um, you know, a, 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 you know, they're they're not pre-millennial guys. Well, we got the whole pre-post thing going on, but there are people that think that this isn't a thousand years literal, that it's figurative, and they come up with all kinds of scripture to support it. And it's interesting, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you think it's literal or you don't think it's literal. I happen to think it's literal, but that is not really relevant. Just what I happen to think based on my own study. But he is going to bind Satan. And there is going to be this millennial period of time. What does millennial mean? Thousand. (laughs) Millennium. Annum is years. And millennial is thousand. Okay, so it's thousand years. Hmm, Interesting. That's where the word comes from. Thousand years. That's what it means. Ah, I'll point that out. And so he is going to be he is going to be cast aside for this either a literal or some period of time. Uh, and then at the end of that period of time, he's actually going to be set free for for a short time. Why? That's really interesting because that's next week. <laughs> but but we're told why. We know why he is going to be let loose. That's really interesting that, that that's going to take place because you just spent a thousand years living with Jesus, mm-hmm. and he's going to be released, and you're going to turn back to him. Well, this is really interesting because we have to take a look at, at, at part of, the, part of the, the, the reason why is right there in Revelation 20 that talks about um, the fact that he is going to be locked up for a period of time so that there is no more deceit. He can't deceive anybody. See, there, isn't going to be the, there is not going to be the satanic influence. See, we can't relate to that because I do things that I don't want to do and I don't do things that I ought to do. And that's the, that's the nature. I've been given a new nature and yet that old is still there. That old is still there. And see, the satanic influence that exists is not going to exist during this period of time because it says that, that uh, in Revelation 23, it says, Revelation 20, verse 3, it says that he threw them into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So, uh, there is going to be no deceit, no satanic deceit that is going to take place during this time. And we're going to take a look at what happens during the millennium. Because who wants to know what we're going to be doing before, before eternity? I do. We're going to be there. We came with them. And the Bible is very clear about what we're going to be doing. 
It's really clear. It says that he's also then going to, Susan, as you said, he is going to establish himself as king of king and lord of lords for this period of time, whether you're a literalist or not. For this period of time, the thousand years we'll call it, that Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne, and according to Daniel 2.44, that in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. At this point, because Christ has come, it is a millennial period of time, I believe it to be a thousand years, and yet it will never be destroyed. It will never, it will never go back. It won't revert to what it was ever. It is going to be never means never. Okay? All is all, never is never. And so that is what is going to happen. So he is going to crush all the kingdom and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ on the earth. Okay? Pretty straightforward. He also then says, turn to Matthew 19.28. Somebody read that because that's also important in terms of what's going to be happening during the millennial kingdom and reign of Christ. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, if the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. There's the first clue, Tim. Jesus Christ comes personally, literally, and he is triumphant when he comes, and he defeats the enemy, and then he sets up his kingdom. And the tribulation isn't quite over yet, but it's really close upon the defeat of, of, uh, of the Antichrist. And we could talk about there's a period of time that some people believe is like a 45 to 75 day period of time. I don't care. I could care less whether there's a 45 or 75 day period of time between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of a millennial period. Um, uh, sometimes I think theologians have way too much free time on their hands. That's just my personal opinion. But, nonetheless, Matthew 19.28 says that at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, when is he going to be sitting on his glorious throne? When he comes. There it is. He's going to be sitting on his throne when he comes, and it says that that is at the renewal of what things? How many things are going to be renewed? All of them. Because, you see, everything is broken. And all things are going to be renewed. The millennium starts, and Jesus Christ, sitting on his throne, begins the process of the renewal of all things. Now, how many people thought that that was going to be, the renewal of all things was going to be when the new heavens, if you've studied heaven before, the new heavens and the new earth come, that is like the heavens and earth collide and they become one. We're going to look at this when we look at eternity. And we're going to see that. But right now, this says that the earth is rid of Satan and his minions. Jesus sits on the throne. He comes victorious. And at that time, it is the beginning of the renewal of all things. Wow. There's still a mess out there. Hmm. After all the judgments that happened and all the catastrophes that happened because of the judgments, the earth is just torn up. The earth is a mess, guys. The oceans have turned blood. 
All fresh water, not all, it, the vast majority of all fresh water is totally contaminated by wormwood. There are multitudes of dead bodies. They can't get around to, to taking care of all of them. That's what scripture says. Mountains have been leveled. Earthquakes on a magnitude that is worldwide, not geographic. We, I don't know what that looks like. I, I, I can only imagine that it's big. And then Jesus comes and he sits on the throne and he begins the renewal of all things. With who, Olivia? Us. So what are we going to do now that cast, the, the Satan is cast out of the picture for a thousand years, we'll say. Defeated by the word of God. So what is this millennial period about? What's its purpose? Where is it? It's here on earth. Okay? Who's going to be there? We're going to be there. Who else is going to be there? Jesus is going to be there. Praise God. Jesus is going to be there. We're going to be there. Who else is going to be there? Which martyrs? Okay. Tribulation saints. Okay. Tribulation saints. Oh, the scripture has things to say about about the non-tribulation saints, the ones that are waiting for the for the rest of the Gentiles to come. Remember they said, Lord, when are you going to avenge our death? And he says, not yet. Hang tight. Chill out. Paraphrase. But not yet. So what's the purpose of the millennial period? <clears throat> well, the scripture says we're going to rule and reign with him. Okay. It says that we're going to rule and reign with him in Luke 19. You don't have to turn there. Luke 19 tells us that the, that the saints will be rewarded during this period of time. In fact, there's a whole bunch of parables that talk about the fact that, that hey, listen, I gave you a little something, and you've done well with it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I'm going to give you a whole bunch more to be responsible for. There's going to be work to be done. There will be work that is going to be done during this period of time. And the faithful saints will be given responsibility... This is a privilege, by the way. They will be given responsibility based on what they did with what he gave us to deal with right now. The here and now. Is the here and now important? I hope so. So what did you do with what he gave us? Isn't the Israel going to be judged during this time too? Uh-huh. Most definitely. And we're going to see that. What else is he going to do that we were just talking about in terms of, in terms of the creation? Restore it. He's going to renew and restore. That's exactly right. We just, we just read that in Matthew 19, 28. So he begins the renewal and he is going to redeem the earth because, boy, does it need to be redeemed. Amen? So he's going to make it all nice like it was and then let Satan out again? Yeah, what? No. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's exactly right. He's getting released into a perfect world again. Oh, this is fascinating because what happens during the millennial reign of Christ, when he is on the throne and he is renewing the earth. I think a lot of people have a real misconception about this. Because the scriptures say, at this point, at this point, when the renewal is taking place, I'll give you a clue. Satan has no power. Satan's gone. 
There is no satanic influence. None. There is no sin. There is no satanic influence. No. Is there sin? There is sin. You won't be sinning. There will be sin. We'll see that in a minute. Okay. Satan doesn't have any power. There will be other children born to people that are living on the earth. Yeah, here's what the scripture says. Scripture says that the lion is going to lay with the lamb during this period. Ooh. That sounds like heaven. But it isn't. It is the millennial period where the lion is going to lay with the lamb. God is going to provide rain and abundant seed because remember, people will have just been starving to death. The renewal is going to take place very quickly, I believe, is what Scripture points out to us. Because God is going to begin the renewal process and it's not going to be like that. That's not what Scripture tells us. It says that over a period that God is going to be using the millennial period to restore and redeem the entire earth. And guess what? Here's the vision. So there will be plenty of rain. And it also says in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the prophets, that, and that here's the image that is used, that the deserts will be in bloom continuously. It sounds like you're saying during this time that... that, that there are going to be people that uh, become cocky. And, and yes, but but we have to take a look that even though even though God will bring rain, I have this. I have. I'm I'm not a prophet, but um, but the vision that I get when God says that He is going to provide crops and that and that um, the livestock will have abundant food to eat in. In the, in, the, in the plains and I, I get that vision of what heaven was originally like They're, they didn't you know those big water wheels if, you know, again, I'm a pilot. so I fly over that stuff you know in the east and, and I see the big rings you know where they have the, the pivots for the irrigation God's going to irrigate there's not going to be any more of those big round things I'm pretty convinced okay because God's going to make it perfect just like it was originally intended well, I think we'll work the land because that was what was originally intended but we're not going to... I don't think we'll need the California aqueduct. I'm pretty sure of that. I'm pretty confident of that. And so he is going to restore things. It even says that the, the sea will flourish. The specific reference is to the Dead Sea. And so I don't know that there will be any sea because we've seen in our study in heaven that the seas are gone when the new heavens and the new earth collide. Okay? But it says here during this period that, that specifically the Dead Sea will flourish with... Plant life and fish. Oh, that's interesting. No longer dead. That's right. It won't be a dead sea. It reverts back. To it is a earthly garden of Eden. That's the picture that Scripture gives us. And the third thing that happens, and the third purpose, is to fulfill God's covenant with Israel because it hasn't been fulfilled. What was God's covenant with Abraham? There were three major things that were in His covenant with Abraham. Okay, land. The descendants would be many, and that he would bless the whole earth. Has that happened yet? That will happen during this period. God will be in covenant, 
and will make this covenant good during this period. That is going to be a new covenant for Israel, right? They're not participating. Right? No, of course they're not. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, you're not in the new covenant. You have not accepted God's covenant with you. Well, he's in covenant, all right. But people aren't. Some people aren't. So God is going to forgive the sins of Israel. He is going to restore Israel. He is going to bring Israel back into right relationship with himself. They are his people. And he is going to make right all the things that they made wrong out of disobedience during this period. The millennium is going to completely reaffirm the total and absolute depravity of man. How is that going to happen? Who's going to be there? You're going to be there. Y'all are going to be there. Who else is going to be there? You've already said. Will, will everybody be a believer during the millennial period? No, no. no of course not. But they will not have been given a chance uh, to decide because Satan's not there to Oh. See, the thing is, here's, here's what happens. Because there will be people, we're coming back in our glorified bodies with the Lord Jesus Christ to reign. And he is going to give us nations to be responsible for. And what that means is some people will be on the city council and other people will be governors. And some people will be... Um, what did Barack Obama say the other day that he wasn't? Um, <laughs> no, the, the emperor, yeah. Some of us maybe will be emperor. There will be a perfect government in place because Jesus Christ will reign. Okay, and he will be in charge. Okay, and it will be perfect, and it will be just, and it will be righteous, and it will be holy, and we will have a role in all of that because that's what we will be. We will take on those attributes of God, but not everybody will because not everybody on the earth will be in their glorified bodies. Which means that, and we'll have to take a look at this. Um, and I don't know that we're going to get all the way through it tonight, so we'll have to go on hyperspeed next week. But, but what that means is is that there will be people on the earth that are uh, not in their glorified bodies. There will be procreation that takes place. Not by us, but by others. And therefore, there will be people, and we will look at the scripture references for this in just a minute, there will be people on the earth during the millennial reign of Christ where we have responsibilities that is handed out to us based on how we conducted ourselves with what God gave us to, uh, while we're here. And they are going to procreate these people, and there will be some of them that reject Christ during this time. There's a big difference, however. There's a big difference. Remember how God proportionately hardened the hearts of the Israelites? Mm -hmm. During the millennial reign of Christ, you won't be able to tell. Because scripture tells us that there will be an outward obedience to Christ. Ooh, that's really interesting. But there will be those that reject him. Isaiah 35 says that the earth is going to be restored and the curse is going to be removed. Isaiah 65 says that no more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days. 
during the millennial reign of Christ. No more will there be in it an infant that lives but for a few days. Also, uh, in uh, Scripture, it says that Isaiah 29 says that during the millennial reign of Christ, there will be no sickness. So during the sun, there will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be births, but there's infants. There will be births. There will be no stillbirths. There will be no sickness. Because Jesus, the great physician, will be the healer during this time. There will be no sickness. Whether you're in your glorified state or not. There will be prosperity during this time. But will they die? Hmm. Now that's a good question. <laughs> will there be death? Hmm. Debatable. <clears throat> and we'll look at that next week. Okay? There is going to be prosperity on the earth at this time. Does that mean financial prosperity? No, there's not going to be any health and wealth preaching, trust me. It won't be, you're not going to go there. There won't be any. But the health and, the, and the, 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 the prosperity is going to be in joy and comfort and relationship. There won't be want for food. Or there won't be want. There won't be want. <coughs> we will ultimately have everything that we need. There will be work. But there won't be want. <clears throat> Jesus is going to institute this perfect global government. The contrast is beautiful because the Antichrist tried to do that. He had control of the whole earth. Flip. There you go. Flip that around and now all of a sudden Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of all the world government. It's perfect. It's just. It's righteous. It's holy. That according to both Daniel and Isaiah. In fact, just real quickly, uh, in Isaiah 9, uh, verse 7, it says, His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time onward and forevermore. That's pretty clear. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I, I, I love it that, that Scripture says that the Lord Jesus will be filled with zeal. I love that word. And he's zealous. He's going to be, in, in, in some way, a zealot. That's, I mean, that's by inference, right? Never thought of Jesus that way. But that's what it says. The kingdom of Christ in the millennial period will be the only government that has never failed. Every other form of government that, get, that man has instituted has been a failure, including the one that we're in. Well, it will fail if you don't think it's failing now. So picture this, what the millennium looks like in terms of the culture, because we talk about that all the time today, don't we? We talk about the culture and how messed up it is. Oh, okay. Isaiah, Ezekiel, and, and Joel all say that Jesus will reign and the Holy Spirit will be present. Just like now, only there will be physicality. There will be a physicality. No longer will I have a bumper sticker that says that if Jesus is your co-pilot, switch seats. I won't need that anymore. 
There will be righteousness, justice, and conformity. They will all prevail. Conformity to what? What? To God's rule. That's a good way to put it. There will be conformity. That's what it says. It says that in Isaiah, read all of Isaiah 60. If you want to read something interesting tonight before you go to bed, just read chapter 60 of Isaiah. Talking about the conformity. This is what it's going to look like during the millennial reign. There will be righteousness and justice and conformity even for non-believers. Olivia, that, does that blow your mind? Because we're not here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're going to be here during this period. During this period. They will be here. and they're, But they will conform. They will conform. It's hard for us to grasp that because we see a lot of non-conformity today, don't we? Holiness is going to prevail. In Joel it says, Jerusalem will be holy. Actually, my version says, shall be holy. Faithfulness will prevail. That's the conformity. There will be a faithfulness like we've never seen before during the millennial reign. And of course, we know that every knee will bow. Amen? Ultimately, uh, that's one that sticks with us, isn't it? Every knee will bow. Because there is going to... Jesus will be known. And so will we at this point. And we're going to finally start to get it during the millennial reign of Christ. And we are with him. We are finally going to get that little snapshot that's going to grow and grow and grow in terms of who Jesus really is. Uh, because we don't understand. We, we're not capable of it. Can you tell us exactly who will be here? What about the people that are dead in Christ now? Are they here? Yes. Absolutely, because there's a resurrection. And we'll, we'll do a review of this. So what happens is, is that uh, what happens is, is that we, we have a... Um, um, there will be before the tribulation, we know that there's an event that takes place, right? The rapture takes place. And at that rapture, um, what happens? Who, who's first? Okay. Who, but who's first? The dead in Christ will rise. And then if the rapture happens uh, at, at 9 o'clock, Olivia, if the rapture happens at 9, the dead in Christ... During the church age, the dead in Christ will rise first. And then in the blink of an eye, we'll be right behind them. And we will be taken away from this place for this end times period that we have been studying called the tribulation. Okay? And then all of those people are coming back with Christ. The dead in Christ and, and, the, and, the, and the saints okay, that were alive during the rapture. We come back. And then that whole, that, I mean, that whole tribulation happens, and then we come back, and that's where we are right now. So here we are. But when Jesus comes, there will be people on the earth. And he will have taken care of all of those followers of Satan. Right? That have the mark of the beast. There will be none of them left. But there will be believers, and those believers will be in their mortal bodies, not their glorified bodies. And they will procreate, and there is at least a thousand year period of time, and we're going to see what happens when, when Satan is let loose. There's an event at the end of this thousand year millennial period, and there will be people, believe it or not, it is written, there will be people 
there will be followers of Satan at the end of this period of time. Is that nuts? It is nuts. But that is what the millennial period, that is what is one of the purposes of the millennial period. So that we can first and foremost and finally, after all, everybody will know that mankind is deprived and that there is only one righteousness that can be accepted and it is outside of ourselves. It is outside of ourselves. There will be more Through Adam faith in Christ. Excuse me? There will be more Adam and Eve that will turn away. And That's exactly right. What That's exactly right. That. Well, we'll get to that next week. Okay? okay? <coughs> we're going to see what happens then because there's a second resurrection that, that, that the scriptures talk about. And, we're gonna, and we'll deal with that next week when we, when we conclude this before we start talking about eternity. Okay. So God's presence will ultimately be made manifest if you read Ezekiel 37 27 it says my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people then the nations shall know then the nations shall know that I the Lord sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is among them forever there is this wonderful presence of God that will be made manifest during the millennium that is hard for us to grasp because we live in the physical and there is a spiritual battle. We, we struggle when we try to put those two together, don't we? We struggle. And yet that struggle is going to be removed. Okay, That struggle will be removed forever because that's what it's going to look like. But this still isn't going to be the new earth and the new heaven. Not yet. Right. Not until the thousand year reign has of Christ has been completed. But and it's going there's, to be real nice. There, this is going to be a picture of heaven where you and your glorified bodies are going to reign with Christ. With. And the scriptures talk a whole lot about our inheritance. Okay. And, and so we are heirs. The word is with Christ. With is the same as all. It still means with. Okay? It means with Jesus. He's on the throne. We will reign with him. We will have responsibility. We will be... It is going to be an amazing, an amazing thing that is very difficult for us to conceive of at, at this particular point because we don't know anything other than sin. <coughs> That's what we know. It is it, sin when it entered through Adam and Eve um, is going to be taken care of ultimately, right? And we have been forgiven, but we still live with it, don't we? So we don't know what it's like not to live with sin. I hurt in the morning. I have a bad back. Dale, <laughs> can you relate, dude? Okay. See, that's gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. See, that's gone. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's like not to have a, I have a desire and I know you do too to be holy. Be holy because God is holy. But I can't. So the Lord had to make provision for that. But here we will. This is a radical departure from what we're used to. 
And so then what happens during this during this period? We will we will be doing things. We will be reigning with Christ. And there will be a renewal process that's taking place. And I don't know if it takes place in 15 minutes, 15 years, or a thousand, because we're not told. But the renewal takes place over time. I know that. I just don't know how much time. And whether we're a thousand-year literalist or we're not a thousand-year literalist, for our purposes of discussion, we'll call it a literal thousand years. And then, next Wednesday. <laughs> That's what happens next Wednesday. Now, does the word say that we're going to uh, witness this uh, releasing of Satan also? I come next Wednesday. Because I can't let that cat out of the bag yet. <laughs> and so that's what we're going to look at. Next Wednesday, we're going to look at, we're going to fast forward. You know, we just spent like seven weeks in, in for a seven-year tribulation period. And we're going to deal with a thousand years in, in an hour and a half. Okay. <laughs> but that's what we're going to do next Wednesday, right?